Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast, episode 41. I've learned from a lot of you over on Instagram that anything I do pertaining to cooking and easy cooking is one of your favorites. I think it's a area that a lot of moms struggle with constantly coming up with new ideas or feeling the need to come up with new ideas or just throwing together a meal, a healthy meal that will satisfy your family, but doesn't take you all day long to cook is what seems to be the greatest need currently in the community. So I put out a question box over on Instagram for all of your most pressing questions regarding kitchen and cooking. And I'm going to answer those today to the best of my ability. My name is Lisa, mom of six and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Like I said, to the best of my ability, because I am still learning all the time. I have been cooking from scratch for about 12 years now but there is infinite things to learn, new things to try, but mistakes are still happening and I'm constantly still learning, but let's dive in. Okay, first one up is, have you done a freezer meal post for new baby? I'm due in nine weeks and prepping for baby number two. I do have one video like that. I made it whenever I was due with Daniel, but I don't feel like what I made really saved too much time. For good freezer meal resources, I'm actually having a guest on this podcast next week named Jamaril. She is an expert on freezer cooking. She has a family of eight. So I will probably just refer you to her because I spent all day long freezer meal prepping and I came up with about two weeks worth of meals. So I really don't consider myself an expert in that area though I have tried it. How does budget shape your meal planning? As many of you know, if you follow along a while that I don't do a particular budget. I don't have I love Dave Ramsey. I love all things debt-free, but I don't have a rigid budget where, you know, I know exactly how much we spend on groceries. In fact, I never know. I just typically operate under the, if I'm buying things whole and fresh and from scratch, then I'm not spending extra money because I haven't paid any extra money for anyone to process something in any way. So I don't really consider the budget, but I guess in a way, I just try not to buy things that have been pre-processed. Also, in order to save money, I like to buy things that are in season or on clearance and then shape meals around those. So not really doing a rigid meal plan, but instead grabbing, you know, like just the other day, I was at a produce stand in my area and they had a bunch of greens that they grew in their gardens and they were like a dollar a bag. So we will be having a lot of salads this week. Usually if something is seasonally available, it's usually cheaper and I will just stock up and then base everything around that. So I try to shop as cheap as possible, but there isn't a budget and I could not tell you what we spend at all. Never looked into that. Someone asks, where is the stove from in my kitchen? We found our gas stove on Facebook Marketplace and had it restored. It's a 1949 caloric gas range. We absolutely love it. If there's a lot of interest in that, I will go more in depth on how all that works, but it is just a vintage gas stove. Okay, I got this one over and over again, so it seems to be a topic that people want to know. How do you care for your cast iron? I'm new to it, and there's so much conflicting info 
A lot of people have been asking me how I clean it. I'm just looking through all the questions. How do you reseason it? Things are sticking. So tons, how to care for cast iron. How do you care for cast iron? Tons and tons of questions on cleaning, seasoning, and cooking in cast iron. I have a blog post that goes in depth on this. I also have a podcast episode episode five. So it was one of my earlier episodes. If you want more in-depth info, because I talk about cast iron for 20, just under 23 minutes in that episode, you can go back, but just briefly, I'll touch on it. Cast iron is something that does get better with time. So the more you use it, the better it will be. I've been using them in my kitchen for at least 10 years now. I've never reseasoned, not once. If you use it constantly and you use them properly, you won't have to reseason. I heard whenever I first started using cast iron that I would have to reseason it, and I just expected that would be a normal part of maintenance, but I have not found that to be the case at all. I've never done it. So some, some keys with cast iron are you have to preheat the food. So just the other day, a friend of mine texted me and she said that the pancake recipe on my blog was turning out really poorly. It wasn't getting fluffy, I forget how she described it, but it just wasn't good. It wasn't appetizing. And I told her that likely the biggest issue wasn't so much the consistency of the dough or the batter. It was the heat of the cast iron when you put the pancake onto it. I find that the same pancake batter can either yield a crumbly fall apart. I don't even know how to describe it, but like a pancake that sticks and isn't edible. And mind you, This is on a seasoned cast iron skillet. So even seasoned cast iron skillets will stick if not preheated properly. But then that same batter, if you preheat it, it's nice and hot, but not too hot. When the batter hits it, it will make a really fluffy, nice pancake. So pretty much everything with cast iron has to do with preheating it properly whenever you're making certain things. So now here's the the disclaimer. Things like eggs and pancakes, anything bready does really well on a preheated skillet. Um, Salmon patties, potatoes, eggs, English muffins, pancakes, pizza crust, all want preheated. But if you're making something like meat, so bacon, ground beef, it does not want a preheated cast iron skillet. On the other hand, If you are making pork chops or something that you you want to sear on, like a steak, you'll want to preheat it. Just be patient with using your cast iron because it will take getting to know, but I promise you once you do, you'll never use anything else. I use nothing else. So a couple people on here asked me, what do you cook in cast iron and what don't you? I am honestly trying to think of anything that I don't cook in cast iron. People even said that maybe not liquids. I do. I mean, I cook, usually if it's something like soup, I'll put it in my cast iron Dutch oven. But I used to have a stainless steel set when we first got married. It's still, some pieces of it I still have and are sitting in the cabinet, but I don't use them. I have four cast iron skillets and a cast iron Dutch oven, and they all sit out on my stove at all times. If I'm making something like pancakes, I'll preheat all four of them and get several pancakes going at once or four pancakes going at once so that I can get it done really quickly. Crepes, again, I'll get all four going. English muffins, anything that I need to, you know, it needs to cook a little bit and then flip, I will get all four going. Okay, so preheating, it's really important. You might think that it's not seasoned properly, but it really just might be user error. You might need to preheat more before the food hits it. Somebody asked about scrambled eggs. 
If you preheat some butter or coconut oil, add scrambled eggs, and you flip very, very infrequently, you can get scrambled eggs to not stick. But typically with scrambled eggs, at least in my in my case, I usually stir them more than like one flip, and I find that they stick. However, fried eggs on the same skillet don't stick because it's just the one flip. Same thing with pancakes. Same thing with potatoes. If you preheat it and you preheat the oil and the potatoes hit that oil while it's sizzling. So they hit it and it sizzles and then you only turn them over one time. So you let them get fully browned. Then you flip them or like a hash brown or a cut up potato, any kind of potato, it won't stick. If you start stirring them constantly, they'll stick. Doesn't matter how good your seasoning is, they'll stick. This is this is my experience. Now, let's say that that happens. You make scrambled eggs, you stir them constantly. You make potatoes, you stir them constantly. You make ground beef because quite frankly, I've never gotten ground beef to not stick, even on a good skillet. You will have some sticking in those three applications. How do you clean it? I personally, and my sister also, we are big believers in steel wool, like a chore boy. In fact, just the other day, we were out together on a girls' night with our girls and my mom and my sisters, and Laura was like, oh, I just ran out of my last uh, steel wool. I need to get some at Target, and I'm like, thank you, because I almost forgot about that, and I can hardly live without steel wool. So if something is sticky, I let it soak in water, not very long. I never soak cast iron long because if I do, it will put a rust ring on my sink and also it just, it'll rust. You don't wanna soak it long. I usually will run it under hot water and just use my chore boy, get it clean, dry it off and put it right back on top of my stove. If you have something that is sticking really bad, you can get some water in it and then just let it boil on your stove and that'll loosen things up. And then once it's cooled down a little bit, you can use your steel wool. Some people don't like to use steel wool on their cast iron. Again, I've been doing it for 10 years and my cast iron skillets are awesome. They, they totally don't stick. I, I mean, unless in, in those if you don't follow the rules, like you don't preheat and you stir too much. But if I if I follow the rules, they don't stick. Tons and tons of times I've used steel wool. Um, but another alternative, I actually have this recipe in my book, Simple Farmhouse Life. You can make a salt scrub for your skillets. So you pretty much just take some a little bit of oil and some salt. You can add a citrus essential oil for a little bit more scrubbing powder, power, but you will just work that salt into the skillet. It will give it a nice shine because of the oil and then it will, the grittiness of the salt will remove anything. So that's another option if you don't want to use uh, steel wool and that will help to build up a seasoning on it because of the oil. Now after that, always, always, always dry it out. And then also another key for me is I don't put it away. So it's out on the stove, I might rub it down with a little bit of oil before I let it sit there, but it's in such constant use. It doesn't have a chance to rust. It doesn't have a chance to lose its seasoning. So maybe if you are the type of person who's trying to get your skillet out once a month and you don't use it frequently, you might be experiencing more issues. All right, I'm gonna not talk about that anymore because you can just go back and listen to episode five if you need more info. But I did wanna touch on it, give it, give it a few minutes because there were so many questions that I know it's a need. Is it possible to make sourdough cookies? It sure is. You can find that over on the blog under my sourdough discard recipes um, blog post. 
Do you use pasta at all? If yes, what do you look for in good pasta? We don't use pasta hardly at all. I probably make pasta once a month at the most, but I did just get a pasta attachment for my KitchenAid mixer. I'm gonna experiment with making some einkorn pasta. So that is something I might be doing, but at the moment, it's just not something that we eat in our family. Now, if I were buying it, I probably would look to buy some einkorn pasta. It'd be a good non-fermented option. What do you use for cookie sheets or baking pans? I just have a couple of stainless steel cookie sheets. Have you ever made your own cheese? I have not, but I am looking into it. I actually bought some cultures for that because I want to make it with the goat milk. Now I have made kefir cream cheese. I haven't found much of a use for it. I need to try it again because I was trying to use it in sweet applications and I didn't like that. So I probably need to do that again and make it for maybe pizza, like a goat cheese type of thing. We'll see. Do you have, I have no idea what to make for dinner moments and what do you make in those times? That is something I used to have a lot as a young mom, a new wife. I don't know if it's because I've lowered my standards or if I've just gotten more comfortable with throwing things together, but I can't say that I do have those moments very often, to be completely honest with you. Usually it's just mealtime just isn't as big of a deal, I guess, as it used to be. I don't really know how to describe it, but... I look in the fridge, I see you know, if we have any meats thought out or what vegetables we have, and I just cook something. You know, It doesn't have to be something with an official name. I don't have to worry about what herbs go with what meats and what vegetables. I just cook things. So if I look in the refrigerator, let's say I see that I have a pack of ground beef that's thawed out and there are a few peppers and an onion and maybe there's a little bit of rosemary, I might throw together a sourdough skillet. Or if I see some chicken, I might make a big salad with chicken and hard-boiled eggs and avocado. I usually don't ever have a plan. I just look in the fridge, see what we have, and then throw it together in some way. It does not even have to be anything fancy, anything official. You know, I don't need to be making lemon, rosemary, chicken with a side of herb. I don't know. Just, you know, the fancy things you see on Pinterest. And on your average night, I'm pretty much just looking in there, seeing what protein, what veggies we have, and then cooking them. And it's just become something really simple. I watch my mom do the same thing. Every Sunday we go out to her place or my, my parents' place and my mom cooks for us. My sisters come, my nieces and nephews, and she makes dinner. And it's never like this thing that she has to you know, go online and search for a recipe. She usually will just take a roast, typically, slow cook it with some carrots and potatoes, and then cook some kind of vegetable, usually something frozen she'll steam. And then if there's lettuce available or tomatoes, or maybe somebody gave her a bag of garden fresh tomatoes or something. She'll make a salad. Usually it's just a protein and then lots of veggies, some potatoes, simple food. It does not have to be, especially if you are a large family and this is something that constantly just stresses you out trying to think about what to make. Keep it simple, you know, focus on protein and veggies and it doesn't matter how you cook them. You'll get better at finding ways to make it all a little bit more delicious. Again, I'm gonna refer you back to a podcast episode because I go more in depth with it. It's episode eight, how I meal plan fun, from scratch food the easy way. Basically, I talk about how 
I don't meal plan at all. And my set and my strategies for cooking food without having to think about it a lot. I remember when I was a new wife, new mom, I would lay in bed and just like think about all the things I could make this week. Like, okay, if I do this this day and this this day, I need to get this, this, and this. And then that day, and I just would like stress about the whole thing and figure out how I was gonna make it all happen. And now mealtime is something I think about whenever it's mealtime. I'm like, okay, it is, you know, one hour till dinner, I need to get something on. Sometimes I'll start food at the beginning of the day. So like yesterday, I woke up and I was like, okay, I'll think about food now because I'm just, I have a minute. I can think about this right now. And I threw on some beans and then I cooked some venison, threw in some tomatoes. I had some random salsa in the refrigerator, threw that in and made a chili, added some salt, some garlic powder, fresh garlic, onion, that kind of thing. I just work with what I have. I get this one a lot. If your cabbage ferment gets mold at the top, is it ruined? So this is something I feel like needs a disclaimer so that nobody, I don't know if, I don't know what could happen, but nobody could say, you know, sue me or something, I don't know. But I personally just would take the mold off the top and eat the sauerkraut. That is what I do if something gets moldy. Now the way to avoid mold is to check your ferments occasionally and top them off with filtered water. So a lot of times the water has seeped out the top because as the cabbage expands, it'll push them out, but then it'll kind of settle and there won't be as much water on top. If you top that off and so that there is always a layer of water at the top, the mold doesn't happen. Sometimes it happens and I just pull it off. What are must-have kitchen items? I actually have an episode on this. So this is episode 10, tools and essentials for a from scratch kitchen. Briefly, cast iron, obviously, you know this. I recently started using the Dutch oven to bake bread to give it that nice artisan crust. I also like it to cook beans in, anything that I want to simmer. My simmer function on my stove is just this tiny flame in the middle. And when I have the cast iron Dutch oven with the lid on, it'll just stay at such a nice simmer because it traps in all of the heat. You can't even hardly hear it bubbling because it's all just trapped in there. So I really love that, but I got through many years without owning one of those. Now that I have it, I really love it. So that would be, like the bare minimum essentials. Of course, I love my Berkey water filter, use that daily. My Instant Pot, I love that. Wooden spoons, it's pretty basic and minimal for me. And there's so many things that you don't even have to have. But at, at the most essential level, some mason jars, half gallon mason jars for fermenting, cast iron and wooden spoons would be things that I use every single day and have to have. Does your husband ever take over the cooking? It's my thing, honestly. He could, but I enjoy cooking. Now, I don't often get to do cooking in the way that I love it, which is, hey, why don't you just, you know, take all the kids out of here, I'll turn on some music and cook. That would be like dream afternoon, evening. But mostly, it's not so picture perfect, but I do still love cooking. I like making simple meals. And then I like times when I get to be creative, when I create a pizza with fresh, basil from the garden and forage chanterelles and farm fresh local bacon. Those kind of things are really fun for me, but usually, you know, it's, it's my, my, my job. He, he'll do breakfast most of the time in the morning. He'll start some eggs and make breakfast, but typically the cooking is my thing. Can I use einkorn flour for all your sourdough recipes? You can use einkorn, but there are some rules. Typically you will need more flour. It's 
just doesn't go as far. Uh, it's a lighter flower. It You need more of it. And then also the kneading requirements will be different. So whenever you need a conventional modern day wheat, it'll get really stretchy. But einkorn has a different kind of gluten. So the more you knead it, it actually will get stickier and it will not get stretchy. So you need to know a few rules because it is a little bit different, but typically, yes. And once you get used to using einkorn, you will know just how much more flour to add and the feel of how the dough needs to feel and you will be able to. Now, einkorn bread is a little bit more tricky because of the different kind of gluten. And I do have a recipe for that over on the blog, but anything, especially like a quick thing that doesn't have kneading involved, you can totally use einkorn, just add a little bit more flour. I interchange them often. What's your stand on white sugar? Use in moderation, don't use it all. If not, why? Okay, my white sugar isn't a good idea, of course, but do I occasionally like to make cookies with my kids? Yes. So we don't use it a ton, but we also definitely use it sometimes. So I do keep white sugar on hand. I buy the organic cane sugar. It doesn't really matter how you buy it. It's not good. Now, sugar is GMO. So that's one of those things you want to buy organic. There's a few GMO crops available, sugar being one. So I do like to buy it organic, but um, it's just a moderation thing. We typically bake cookies on Fridays. It's become a bit of a tradition at this point, but it's not something I try to do much. How do you cook in bulk for your large family? I usually will just double anything. So if I'm making like chicken pot pie, I'll make two of them. If I'm making pizzas, I now have to make three of them. The easiest things to make for a large family are big pots of soups and stews. If I make something like that, like yesterday when I made chili, I made my entire cast iron Dutch oven full of it. I did, I don't even know how many beans because I put up like probably a whole bag of black beans in there. And then I did two pounds of venison, two or three onions, a couple heads of garlic or cloves of garlic, bulbs of garlic that fed us for both meals. And we still had a little bit left over. I love doing bulk things like that because it's just so easy. But like I said, if I'm making something that's like short order, like if I'm making a grilled cheese or a sourdough pancake, I'll get all the skillets going so that I can just stand there and just flip, 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 flip and get the job done. Do you have more dessert recipes? I have actually quite a few. So if you go to farmhouseonmoon.com on the homepage, I have uh, dessert recipes. I have chocolate sourdough rolls, several different sourdough cobblers and pies and all kinds of uh, stuff like that. Do you still use your Bosch mixer? I actually gave my Bosch mixer to my aunt. I've read a lot of reviews and I know that the Bosch mixer is more powerful and technically better than the KitchenAid, but it isn't as pretty and I always kept it stored away in my pantry, and so I'd have to lug it out every time I was baking with it. So I've had my KitchenAid now for probably five-ish months, and I use it all the time. I mean, I whip cream with it regularly. Like if we're having crepes, I'll take some farm fresh cream and whip it up with a little bit of maple syrup or honey. I knead doughs with it, we make cookies with it. Because it's out on the counter, I use it all the time, whereas with the Bosch, I would really have to want the thing to get it out. So though the Bosch is better, I know this, uh, the KitchenAid is really wonderful because it's pretty, so it's always out and I use it all the time. Grain milling tips. Grain milling is one of those things that comes off as really complicated whenever you're thinking about it in your head, but then once you start doing it, it's nothing. Like you have a 
five gallon bucket of grains, you have a grain mill, and you just literally put them through it and use it. There really aren't a whole lot of tips for it, except for like if you're baking bread, you want a hard wheat. If you are doing einkorn, you can buy whole einkorn berries, that's what I use, but I do have a, a YouTube video on this. If you want, I will leave it down in the show notes, um, all about milling your own grains, but it really is so simple. I do encourage you to try it because it's a simple thing that once you get used to, it's just like another part of your kitchen. Another one on cast iron, I just have so many of these, how to not rust or ruin it, just you have to dry it completely. If it goes away wet at all, it will rust, but it will not if you dry it completely. So if, if also, if, I'll, sorry to touch back on this, but I wanna reiterate that if it's really wet and you don't have a towel that you wanna get dirty because it will get black if you wipe the cast iron out, put it on your stove, turn the burner on, and let that water evaporate and then throw a little oil on it. Just don't let it go get put away wet and you'll never have a problem. What spices do you consider staples for scratch cooking? Lots of herbs. Personally, I just have basil, oregano, thyme, dried out, any of those, and I use them interchangeably. I just throw on whatever, whatever green herb I got. And then, of course, salt and lots of it. I find that that's what makes people want to go to restaurants is it's, it's there's more, not that you wanna use the amount of salt that they use at a restaurant, because a lot of times that's excessive, but salt your food and it will taste better. So salt, pepper, and lots of herbs. I don't really have ones that are essential. Just any green herb, I use it. And then garlic powder, onion powder, I usually have those on hands, but I on hand, but I still like to use fresh garlic and fresh onion as much as possible. I go through a ton. So I go through probably a head of garlic every single day and at least an onion or two. So make sure to have tons of those on hand, just constantly be cutting up onions and garlic and throwing it in the food, and your food will taste so much better. How do you know how much spices and seasonings is enough? My food's either over or under seasoned. So I taste as I go. I'm a total dip the spoon in, taste it kind of person. I'm just cooking for my own family, and I'm totally comfortable with that. We're gonna share all of our germs anyway. So, I mean, I think that's probably the only way you could, could figure it out is by tasting it. Now, you will get really familiar the more you cook. Everything in this whole episode should just, the more experience you have, the more you'll know with all of this stuff. But whenever I visualize like a, a cast iron skillet full of ground beef, for example, I can picture how much salt needs to be sprinkled onto that to taste right. So it's something that you will start to just become really comfortable with, but don't hesitate, especially on something like a soup. If you have homemade bone broth and you have fresh veggies and chicken and all of this stuff, maybe some beans in there, you're have, that's a lot of food to be salting. And so, Add salt, but then taste it, and you probably will need to add more, most likely, because you're not cooking, if you're cooking from scratch, nothing in that has added salt, and so you have to add that all yourself, and you'll need a lot more than you think you will. So usually, you know, with all of my herb containers, all of my spices, I pull that little sprinkle thing, like, you know how there's a cap, and then there's a little sprinkle cap? I pull that off and throw it away, because I'm more of a dump in the pot um, spice person than like a little tiny sprinkle. Cause I'm usually cooking a ton and it's all from scratch ingredients. So it needs some seasoning to it. And so I'm more of a just dump it in there kind of person. Lots of questions about microwaves, reheating food, reheating coffee. 
We have not had a microwave for, well, I guess we had one for like three months when we moved in here before we pulled everything out. But in our last house, you know, we have not had a microwave for 10 years uh, or longer. I don't miss it at all. If we are reheating food, a lot of times I'll put it on the cast iron skillet at a lid and either pop it in the oven or if I'm wanting to heat it a little bit more quickly, put it on the stove top. For coffee, I even reheat coffee every afternoon in a cast iron skillet. I pour a little bit of cream in and a little, it's a small cast iron skillet, maybe like a eight inch one. I have one little eight inch one. I pour my coffee and cream in there, give it a stir over high heat for like 10 seconds and then pour it in my mug. And I do that every single day. It's not inconvenient at all because I'm not gonna wash the skillet anyway. It's just gonna sit there until the next meal because they get used so much that unless something sticks on, I'm not even washing it. Like this morning when I was making pancakes, I just, after I got done, I just wiped it out with a rag and then sat it right back, right back on there. So when I make the coffee, like literally 30 minutes ago, I heated up some coffee. I just poured it in and then there's gonna be a tiny bit of coffee sitting on that cast iron skillet for next time I cook, which is totally fine with me. To me, it's not hard to live without a microwave. I don't miss it at all. How do you keep kids occupied when you cook when hubby isn't there to help? It's hard with the two-year-old, but I do have older kids now. So that's something that used to be a bigger problem than it is now because now I can either enlist the older kids to help with the two-year-old. I send kids outside like the seven-year-old and four-year-old boys, they go outside and run. It's definitely hard to have a lot of kids underfoot while cooking in the kitchen. Everybody in the kitchen is hard. Sometimes if they're all in and they just wanna be in and they're all hungry and they're like waiting for me to be done cooking, I'll say, sit down at the table, just sit at the table. I don't need everybody running around. I need you guys all to sit down, I'll get this done and then serve you all later. So yeah, it's usually send them off to play somewhere in the house, somewhere outside, or they have to sit at the table because it's that can get tough, especially with younger kids. All right, I think that I need to make this into two parts because there are so many more questions, lots of sourdough questions, and I answered a ton of the sourdough questions on episode 29. So all of the sourdough frequently asked questions are on there. I talk about it for a full 30 minutes. So I will probably not cover that here, but I think I'm gonna break this into a part two because there are just so many more and so many good ones. I really love doing it this way because you know I always am telling you guys what I think you want, but then whenever you ask me questions, I know exactly what people want to hear. So. I am going to definitely make this into a part two and do the rest of these next week. All right, well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast. Make sure to grab my free sourdough ebook. You can get that at bit.ly slash farmhouse sourdough. All of my sourdough recipes in one place. It's a 50 plus page free ebook that you can print off, enjoy, and use often in your kitchen. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast.